0: This is Spacetime Series 25, Episode 72, full broadcast on the 1st of July 2022. Coming up on Spacetime, a close encounter with the planet Mercury, NASA's Parker Solar Probe flying to within 8.5 million kilometers of the sun, and work begins on a new European tracking station dish in Western Australia. All that and more coming up on Spacetime. Welcome to Spacetime with
1: Stuart Gary.
0: The Beppi Colombo spacecraft has just undertaken its second close flyby of the planet Mercury. Like its first encounter last year, the probe swooped down to within 200 kilometers of the heavily cratered and rocky planet's surface. The joint European and Japanese mission is undertaking six gravity assist braking maneuvers needed to slow down the spacecraft enough to eventually enter orbit around Mercury in 2025. The primary purpose of this flyby was to use the planet's gravity as a brake in order to help fine tune BepiClomba's trajectory. Having been launched aboard an Ariane 5 rocket from Europe's Kourou spaceport in French Guiana back in 2018, Pepe Colombo has been making use of nine planetary flybys, one of the Earth, two of Venus, and six of Mercury, together with the spacecraft's solar electric propulsion system to help it achieve Mercury orbit insertion against the enormous gravitational pull of the Sun. Even though Baby colombo is still stacked in its cruise configuration for these flybys, meaning many instruments can't be fully operated, mission managers were able to undertake a limited number of scientific observations of the rock nearest the sun. The sequence of images were undertaken by Baby colombos three monitoring cameras, showing the planet's surface, while a number of magnetic, plasma and particle monitoring instruments sampled the environment for the hours around closest approach. The sequence of images were taken by BepiColombo's three monitoring cameras. They showed the planet's surface, while at the same time, a number of magnetic, plasma and particle monitoring instruments were able to sample the environment in the two hours around closest approach. A unique aspect of the BepiColombo mission is its dual spacecraft nature. There's the ESA-led Mercury Planetary Orbiter and the JAXA-led Mercury Magnetospheric Orbiter, both of which are being delivered into complementary orbits around the planet by a third module, ESA's Mercury Transfer Module, basically the cruise stage of the mission. Working together, they'll study all aspects of this mysterious inner planet, from its core through to its surface processes, its magnetic field and its exosphere, in order to better understand Mercury's origin and evolution. Dual observations are key to understanding solar wind-driven magnetospheric processes. And BepiColombo will break new ground by providing unparalleled observations at two different locations at the same time of the planet's magnetic field and its interaction with the solar wind, a stream of charged particles constantly flowing out of the sun. During these flybys, it's not possible to undertake high-resolution imagery with the main science camera because it's shielded by the transfer module while the spacecraft is in cruise configuration. However, Columbus’s three monitoring cameras are taking photos. Because BepiColombo's closest approach was on the planet's night side, the first images in which Mercury will be illuminated were taken around five minutes after closest approach, at a distance of around 800 kilometers. The cameras provided spectacular black and white snapshots in 124 by 124 pixel resolution. Their position on the Mercury transfer module so that they can also capture the spacecraft's solar arrays and antennas. As the spacecraft changed its orientation during the flyby, Mercury was seen passing behind the spacecraft's structural elements. This report from ESA-TV
1: A collaboration between ESA and the Japanese space agency JAXA. BepiColombo consists of two scientific orbiters, a transfer module to propel them to Mercury and a sunshield. Protected by hand-stitched ceramic thermal blankets, the entire spacecraft is 6.5 metres high and will only just fit inside the fairing of its Ariane 5 launcher. Designed to withstand temperatures of up to 450 degrees Celsius, BepiColombo is one of the most technically and scientifically complex missions ever launched. 80% of our material needs to re-qualify for this mission because we hadn't tested before in that harsh environment. So it's it's a real challenge to go there and to bring two spacecraft in an orbit around Mercury. The first challenge is getting to Mercury. Flying directly isn't an option. The Sun's gravity means any spacecraft would be going too fast to make it into orbit. Instead, Columbo will take seven years to reach its destination, combining solar electric propulsion with a total of nine flybys of Earth, Venus and Mercury. When we fly, we constantly
2: brake against the sun because we fly into the inner side of our solar system, yeah, and when you fly towards the most heaviest element there, you constantly accelerate. We don't want that. That's why we decelerate.
1: Once they arrive at Mercury in late 2025, the orbiters will separate from the transfer module to begin their comprehensive scientific mission in 2026. With its 11 instruments, ESA's Mercury Planetary Orbiter will study the surface and internal composition of the planet. Meanwhile, JAXA's Mercury Magnetospheric Orbiter's five instruments will study the planet's magnetic field. Together, the orbiters will not only reveal more about Mercury, but also the history of the inner solar system. Because Mercury is not tilted like Earth, it's uh, spinning almost in the orbital plane, therefore there are some craters on the poles which never see sunlight. And in these craters, we found water ice. And this water ice could be stable over millions and billions of years. And, And that's a fantastic thing also about Mercury.
0: This is Space Time. Still to come, NASA's Parker Solar Probe completes its 12th perihelion, and work begins on a new dish at the European Space Agency's tracking station in Western Australia. All that and more still to come on Space Time. NASA's Parker Solar Probe has just completed its 12th perihelion, flying down to within 8.5 million kilometres of the Sun's surface. A close encounter saw the spacecraft swoop through the blistering solar atmosphere at over 586,860 kilometres an hour, fast enough to cover the distance between Los Angeles and London in under a minute. The milestone also marked the midway point of the mission's 12th solar encounter, which began on May the 27th. Mission managers say the 685 kilogram spacecraft entered the encounter in good shape with all systems operating nominally. Launched in 2018, the Parker Solar Probe is on an unprecedented mission to study the sun up close. It'll trace the flow of energy that heats the sun's outer atmosphere, the corona, shed light on the source of the solar wind, the constant flow of charged particles escaping from the sun and filling the solar system, and explore how solar energetic particles, which can make the 150 million kilometre journey to the Earth in under an hour, are transported and accelerated. The idea for the mission goes back to 1958. But it's taken until now for humans to have the technology to undertake such a flight. This report from NASA TV.
3: The Sun. It's our solar system's engine and the only star in the sky that gets our attention every day. But up close, it's unlike anything we can see from Earth. It's ferocious, a writhing mass of nuclear chaos, tangled magnetic lines, and a constant wind with inconceivably high temperatures, and speeds close to a million miles an hour. Over the years, NASA has sent probes all over the solar system, but never to the sun. Parker Solar Probe, humanity's first mission assigned to touch the sun. It will fly to within four million miles of the sun's surface, confronting brutal radiation and temperatures that can reach one million degrees Fahrenheit. Parker Solar Probe has been prepped to fly right through that unforgiving atmosphere. It's a rough journey. Typically, if you want to head out into the solar system, you've got to merge with orbital traffic. But if you want to head out into the center of the solar system, you've got to run the other way. And it takes a lot of energy. Once it arrives, the spacecraft has got to take the heat. Bathed in radiation as it swoops close, Parker Solar Probe will use an advanced carbon-carbon composite heat shield to protect its delicate instruments. The spacecraft's thermal regulation system will use just a single gallon of ordinary water, H2O, to collect and then dissipate heat, just like a car radiator. It will fly into the corona, the super-hot region of gas and plasma surrounding the sun. There's hardly a there there, as high-energy particles fly outward like streamers. But, and this is another weird thing about the sun, the corona is hotter than the surface of the star itself. We have a few good theories about this, but we're really not sure why. There's some process in the atmosphere that keeps heating it up the further it gets from the core. And Parker Solar Probe is really going to try and figure it out. The corona also propels the solar wind out into space at incredible speeds, way beyond the orbit of Pluto. No one knows for sure what accelerates it so far, so fast. Parker Solar Probe is going to fly right through the origin of this wind, right to where it starts, to figure out how the whole system works. We can't see those processes from Earth, or even from space. Parker Solar Probe is our first direct encounter with a star. Our sun is the only star we can visit, which means this mission will gather important information about how stars work everywhere. That's information we can only get by going straight to the source.
0: Just months after its launch, Parker Solar Probe became the closest man-made object to the sun, passing within 42.72 million kilometers from the sun's surface. More from NASA TV.
4: NASA's Parker Solar Probe is a mission to explore the sun. How can it do that? Why won't the spacecraft melt? Excellent questions. You can't face off with the sun without packing the right gear. This is why Solar Probe is equipped with a white shield that reflects heat off the front and keeps things cool in the back.
5: The heat shield is made out of a couple of different materials. One is carbon-carbon, which is a lot like the graphite epoxy you might see in your golf clubs or your tennis racket, but it's just been superheated. The inside is a carbon foam, um, which is just another form of carbon and is actually about 97 percent air. It's a very lightweight way of making a very strong structure.
4: Nobody likes a needy explorer. Solar Probe can take care of itself, thank you very much. And that's because it has autonomy software that will keep its instruments safe and cool behind the heat shield.
5: We're too far away to joystick it into place. So it basically has to always be sensing whether or not uh, the heat shield is in the right position and correct itself if it isn't. There are these things called solar limb sensors that are just poking out at the very edge of the shadow. And if those get illuminated, the spacecraft knows, oh, I'm you know going the wrong direction and can actually right itself.
4: It's important to stay hydrated in the sun, even for a spacecraft. Solar Probe circulates water to keep the solar cells from overheating. It stays cool and keeps power.
5: So basically, water flows behind the solar rays and into the radiators, and so the water warms up when it's uh, behind the solar cells and then cools down up at the radiators, and so that heat transfer is happening a lot like the veins in your body
4: heat is not the same as temperature. Temperature is a measurement, but heat is energy transfer. This matters because solar probe will be visiting the sun's outer layer, the corona. Like all stars, the sun is made of plasma. How tightly packed that plasma is depends on the layer. While the sun's corona has a very high temperature, the plasma particles are fairly spread out. So even though the temperature in the corona is two to three million degrees Fahrenheit, the heat around the spacecraft is manageable.
5: The corona and where we're going is actually not that dense at all. There are only a couple particles. And so when we think about it, those are very hot, but we're not touching a lot of them. It's the kind of like when you put your hand into an oven and the oven might be at 4 or 500 degrees Fahrenheit, but your hand isn't at 400, or 500 degrees Fahrenheit.
0: In December, 2021, NASA announced that Parker Solar Probe had achieved its cornerstone objective, making the first measurements from within the atmosphere of a star. When Parker Solar Probe entered the solar atmosphere, it made the first ever crossing of what's known as the alpha-critical surface, the boundary where solar material anchored in the Sun first escapes and becomes the solar wind. Until this crossing, no one knew what this boundary would look like. During its first pass close enough to cross this boundary, Parker Solar Probe passed into and out of the corona several times. This revealed key information about the boundary shape, showing that the alpha-critical surface wasn't shaped like a smooth ball. Instead, it has spikes and valleys that wrinkle the surface. Instruments aboard the spacecraft established that the wrinkles were due to coronal streamers, giant plumes of solar material rising up through the sun's atmosphere. Streamers have long been observed by sun-watching spacecraft near Earth, but never before measured directly. Parker also confirmed the existence of a dust-free area close to the Sun. Dust is just about everywhere in the solar system. It's the remnants of collisions that formed planets, asteroids, comets and other celestial bodies billions of years ago. Almost a century ago, astronomer Henry Norris Russell predicted there should be a region around the Sun where dust particles get so hot they sublimate and thus disappear, creating a dust-free zone. People have been looking for evidence of this sublimation zone for decades now, but there's never been any consistent evidence of its existence. Until now. Parker's made the first direct detection of dust depletion close to the sun, observing the light reflected from dust dimming some 13.2 million kilometres out from the solar surface. Models based on these results suggested the dust-free zone should exist starting at about 3.5 million kilometres out from the sun. When Parker Solar Probe sent back the first observations of its voyage to the Sun, scientists found their magnetic field instruments spiked with what became known as switchbacks, rapid flips in the Sun's magnetic field that reversed direction like a zigzagging mountain road. During Parker Solar Probe's sixth flyby of the Sun, it found these switchbacks aligned with magnetic funnels in the Sun's surface. These funnels emerge from between structures known as supergranules, giant bubbles on the Sun in which hot plasma from the solar interior rises up, spreads out across the surface, cools and then sinks back down again. The magnetic geometry of these regions suggests that magnetic reconnection powers the solar wind. While the new findings locate where the switchbacks are made, the question of how they are formed is still a matter of active research. Park has also measured solar energetic particles escaping from the Sun. Measured near Earth, these solar energetic particle events are relatively rare and hard to predict. But detecting them close to the Sun has changed just about everything scientists knew about these speedy particles. The new data suggests they're much more common than expected, and they contain a far wider range of different types of particles than expected. And their paths from the Sun are nowhere near as direct as previously thought. They can be disrupted by the switchbacks and at times follow a path twice as long as expected. By measuring these events close to the sun, scientists are detecting events so small that all trace of them is lost before they reach the Earth. This is helping researchers develop a fuller picture of where they come from and how they're accelerated away from the sun. This report... From NASA TV...
6: After spending a few years spiralling closer to our star, the spacecraft has finally arrived.
2: It's amazing. Parker Solar Probe is touching the sun. and
6: This is Noor Rawafi, the project scientist of the mission. He has been waiting for this moment since the beginning of his career.
2: This is a dream come true. One of the major goals for the Parker Solar Probe mission is to fly through the solar corona, and we are doing that now.
6: So what does it mean to touch the Sun? To answer that, we need to look at the Sun's structure. Unlike Earth, the Sun doesn't have a solid surface. It's a giant ball of hot plasma that's held together by its own gravity. Solar material flows out from the surface, but around the Sun, it's bound by the Sun's gravity and magnetic field. This material forms the Sun's atmosphere, the corona. Eventually, some of this hot and fast solar material escapes the pull of the sun and gushes out into space as solar wind. The boundary that marks the edge of the sun's atmosphere is known as the Alphane critical surface. We didn't know exactly where this boundary was, but for the first time in history, a spacecraft has crossed it. Parker Solar Probe ventured into the corona, touching solar material still bound to the sun. The wispy corona is too faint to see most of the time, but it's revealed during total solar eclipses. For centuries, we've been studying the sun's atmosphere during eclipses because it's important for understanding how our star influences life in the solar system. But much about the corona remains a mystery.
2: Two of the most challenging scientific mysteries in astrophysics occur in a region that we call solar corona.
6: The first mystery is about the temperature. The corona is about 300 times hotter than the photosphere, the visible surface of the sun below. Secondly, there's a constant stream of particles flowing from the sun, known as the solar wind. It accelerates up to millions of miles per hour out of the corona, and we don't know how. Solar wind can disrupt our satellites and technology. To better protect them, we need to go where the solar wind starts, in the corona. So heading there has been a key goal of NASA's for a while. We first proposed the idea of sending a spacecraft to the Sun in 1958. We didn't have the technology to withstand the journey until the 2000s. Since its launch in 2018, Parker has been heading towards our star. Then in April 2021, during Parker's eighth orbit around the Sun, the spacecraft was around 20 solar radii, or 8 million miles from the Sun's surface, when it crossed into the Corona.
2: This is a huge milestone. It took us over six decades to come to this point.
6: As Parker entered the corona, its whisper instrument took the images. Streams of plasma surrounded the spacecraft, and Parker's other instruments detected that the magnetic conditions had changed. Outside the corona, solar wind gushes out, pushing solar material away at high speeds so that it can't return back to the sun's surface. Inside the corona, the sun's magnetic field becomes much stronger. Solar material is slower and tethered to the sun. Instead of a smooth divide, Parker found that the boundary between these two sides is wrinkly. These bumpy ridges are created from huge flows of plasma traveling out of the corona. Scientists are not sure why this happens, but as Parker gets closer, we're finding more clues. Before entering the corona, Parker had seen kinks in the solar wind where it would momentarily double back on itself. Scientists called these features in the solar wind switchbacks, but no one knew how or where they formed. In 2021, the spacecraft finally tracked switchbacks to one of their origins. As Parker got even closer to the sun, it detected bursts of switchbacks. Scientists traced these bursts all the way to the visible surface of the sun. As heat rises beneath, convection cells churn and create funnels of magnetic energy above the surface. Scientists found that switchbacks form inside of these funnels before rising into the corona and beyond. This is only one piece of the switchbacks puzzle though. Exactly how they form is still unknown. Over the next few years, Parker will keep looking for clues as it explores our sun, the only star we can study up close. The sun is also the only star known to support life. So understanding it is critical as we search for life beyond our solar system.
2: That will link directly into the question, are we alone in this universe? And that is one of the biggest questions for humanity to, to, to answer.
0: This is Space Time. Still to come, work begins on a new dish at the European Space Agency's tracking station in Western Australia. And later in the science report, tropical coral reefs now threatening to invade Sydney Harbour. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Construction is now underway on the European Space Agency's latest Deep Space Communications antenna in Western Australia. The new 35-metre dish, which is being partly financed by the Australian Space Agency, is being built at ESA's existing new Norcia tracking station, 140 kilometres north of Perth. The facility already has a 35-metre main dish, as well as a 4.5-metre acquisition dish. Once completed, the second main dish will provide increased capacity for ESA's Deep Space Communications Network, s which also includes 35-meter dishes in Spain and Argentina and smaller dishes in Sweden, Belgium, the Azores, French Guiana and Kenya. The antennas in ESA's Deep Space Network are operated by ESOC, the main control centre in Darmstadt, Germany. They provide constant communications with ESA missions orbiting the Earth, and in deep space. Australia's National Science Agency, the CSIRO, has been ESA's local partner for operations and maintenance of the new Nausea facility since 2019, and will likewise be responsible for this additional new antenna. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with a science report. A new study says Australian COVID-19 cases are actually far higher than what's being reported. Australia's most recent serious survey of antibodies to the virus in blood donors shows that by the end of February this year, at least 17% of the Australian adult population had recently been infected with SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. The vast majority of these infections are believed to have occurred during the Omicron wave which began in February 2021. Based on the survey results, the proportion of people infected was at least twice as high as that indicated in cases reported to authorities by the end of February this year. Some 6.4 million people have now been killed by the COVID-19 coronavirus since it first appeared in the area surrounding China's Wuhan Institute of Virology back in September 2019. However, the World Health Organization says the true death toll is likely to be around 15 million, with over 545 million confirmed cases globally. As climate change continues to warm the planet's oceans, former temperate waters, such as those in Sydney Harbour, have now become subtropical, with a growing number of species normally found in tropical waters making the harbour home. A new study by the University of Technology Sydney has found that invading subtropical corals will survive and thrive in coastal Sydney, which could spell trouble for existing Sydney coral species. The study, reported in the journal Coral Reefs, found that existing temperate coral species in Sydney waters may not survive the impact of global warming, and those that do survive will face the impact of subtropical corals migrating into their habitat. Scientists are closer to developing a more sustainable, rechargeable, organic battery by doubling its energy storage capacity. The research, reported in the Chemical Engineering Journal and ACS Energy Letters, is designed to eventually power small electronic devices and limit toxic waste. Scientists at Flinders University in Adelaide used a catalyst strategy to produce two-electron storage in organic radical batteries and that's considered a significant advance in improving storage capacity. The emerging rechargeable battery technology uses more environmentally friendly materials than current metal-based batteries and can be made from sustainable organic compounds to reduce reliance on lithium and cobalt mining. Researchers say their new all-organic polymer battery, which recently achieved 2.8 volts, can deliver a capacity of 175 milliamps per hour per gram which is comparable to the commercialised lithium-ion battery, making it a step closer to practical use. Three Australians who underwent gay conversion therapy to change their sexual orientation say there was nothing therapeutic about it, and they're now calling for a national ban on the practice. Gay conversion therapy is the pseudoscientific practice of attempting to change an individual's sexual orientation from homosexual or bisexual to heterosexual. However, there is no reliable evidence that such practices can alter sexual orientation, and medical institutions warn that conversion therapy is ineffective and potentially quite harmful. In fact, the American Psychiatric Association describes attempts to change a person's sexual orientation by practitioners as unethical and not supported by credible evidence. Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics says conversion practices are hidden in evangelical churches and ministries taking the form of exorcisms, prayer groups or counselling disguised as pastoral care.
7: Yeah, well this is the theory that you can de-gay someone through various means, whether it's just persuasion or worse. It's stronger in fundamentalist religious uh, groups, of course, who believe that uh, being gay is uh, satanic influence and can therefore be exorcised. It is vicious and nasty and cruel and unnecessary and it doesn't work. So therefore various states, Victoria, Queensland and the territory ACT have banned it and other states are looking at banning it as well. I know New South Wales is, but of course there are those of a religious fundamental belief are saying no you shouldn't ban it, it's, it's a religious practice but it's a dangerous religious practice. And it's been going on for, well ever since psychiatry really started, that it's a psychiatric illness being gay. Religious people would say well, it's a it was possession. Was
0: classified as a psychiatric illness until yes, yeah, it was. that, that
7: psychiatrist. psychiatrist did. It. They found various ways to try and cure it: beating people, beating the gay out of people, harassing them. Psychoanalysis, obviously, trying to convince them they weren't gay. Testicular transplants were done for males, where you take the. Testes from a non-gay person and implant them into a gay person, and you think that will solve the problem? Who would volunteer for that? I don't know. Well, I, don't, I think the person was dead. <laughs> they took the oh, testes right, out. Okay. Yeah, hopefully, right? No, you wouldn't. Bother. But I mean, they're, they're, these things are obscene, and under the guise of science, in quotes, you know, that was done at the time. And of course, a lot of the people who are in religious groups who are gay are so desperate to comply, some of them, that they will turn themselves through mental torment to try and ungay themselves al- along with the church. But it's, sort of, it's just, sorry, it, 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 apart from the fact, whatever you believe about gayness, this gay conversion does not work, okay? It does not work, it is just cruel, and therefore it should be stopped. And it is stopped in various states of Australia, as it is in some places overseas as well. That doesn't mean it's not happening, but it's happening under the counter, if you like. And there are certainly people around who supply uh, services in conversion therapy. It's horrible. It's a very serious issue and it's not being treated with enough focus, if you like, in some areas of Australia. But obviously in other areas, it's they've taken it very seriously and banned
0: the practice. That's Tim Endham from Australian Skeptics. Through our Space Time YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Space Time with Stuart Gary. And Space Time is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Space Time with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.